Let's bow for prayer. Our Father and our God, as we allowed ourselves once again to join into that great song that paints a picture of the truth about who Christ is, what he's done. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for not living like we know who he is. Do we know that he is the great I am and what that really means? Our Father, I pray this morning as we take another journey into a familiar place, that manger in Bethlehem, I pray, Father, that you would broaden the scope of our hearts, that we might be refreshed in our awareness of the grand greatness of our God. And I pray, Father, that it would not be a um, superficial moment for us, but that you would be pleased, Father, to open up a vista in our heart that would broaden our sense of awe and reverence, that like the shepherds of old, Father, we would leave this room this morning glorifying and praising our God. So I pray, Father, for those who are injured of heart, lacking in courage, frustrated with failures, or just generally plowed under by life this morning, that this might be a a moment of victory, victory in the presence of God with a fresh vision of your greatness and power. I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I think most of us in here this morning would agree that our world doesn't really know anything about the descriptions that Charles just sang for us. The Christmas message is all over the place. The Christmas songs are in everybody's hearing, certainly in our setting. But I think we all know that these are days of insecurity and angst and hand-wringing and finger-pointing. These are days where clearly, and maybe more clearly than ever, we notice people are really living in darkness and in distress and with complexities and complications they don't understand. And the terminology isn't really helpful to us in these days. There are all these verbal opiates, word pictures, like fiscal cliff. Is that a good thing? Is that like a grand vista view of something? I think our world is confused that um, 20 children are assassinated in a school. That's called murder. While thousands more are killed in wombs, and that's called planned parenthood. I think that's confusing to our world. 
What distresses me more, I think, than our world is the world of Christians or those who claim to be the people of God or know God and are increasingly living themselves in a sense of darkness or fuzziness about the reality of God. There are three observations that I want to throw out this morning that I think are addressed very significantly by the Christmas story. Uh, have you noticed around us that there's a growing fuzziness, fuzziness with respect to the scope of God's power, His influence? Is He really God Almighty? I understand when the lost don't really understand the scope of God, but I find it quite perplexing when those who claim to know God have a, a sense of angst about his power and dominant control over the universe. Just how contr- in control is he? It seems rather oxymoronic of people who claim to know God to call him God Almighty but not see him as all-powerful. And now that, of course, it's Christmas time again, I, as we're celebrating the birth of a little boy born 2,000 years ago, there goes the uh, water bottle, born 2,000 years ago, I, I wonder if many are not uh, considering in this high-tech world of ours, how important is Jesus really? Well, 50,000 Syrians died this year. And it's true that among us, there are so many people who um, have been lied to or misrepresented to and struggle to believe now that anything is absolutely true. And so I think these three pictures of, of those people around us and the, the nature of our, uh, of our culture demands of us to look closely again at the Christmas story and see how these issues are addressed by a very meticulous study done by the gospel writer Luke. Would you turn there in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2? He begins before he tells the story of the manger, recording Zacharias' song. Who makes the point that it was because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death or the culture of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then he embarks upon this great story. So literally or, or without question, the point of Christmas is that a great light has shone on darkness. That's the point of Christmas. To uh, give people living in a, a, a sense of perplexity and, and, um, and darkness of mind an awakening to the truth and reality of the universe that there is a great God who cares about them and is merciful to them and a gracious God who, who loves them and, and wants to do something about their plight. And sadly to us, the majority of people pay no attention to this light. It struck me as I was going over a very familiar story all over again 
just how similar the setting 2,000 years ago was to today. You'll probably notice it as we read it. That first Christmas night, a world in darkness, a, a world wondering where God is, the people of God, for the last 450 years of scriptural silence had been wondering, when is God going to speak again? Where is God? And as army upon army rolled through Palestine, where is God? As loved ones died and new generations came along, Luke writes this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place. The second one, of course, is recorded in Acts 5.37. Luke writing both Luke and Acts. While Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to, to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him... They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God. I want to break this down into, um, to answer three questions that are related to the observations I made about our culture. And the first question is this this morning. If God is so powerful, where is he in all the craziness? Now, um, I want you to notice here as Luke embarks upon this story, the first character in the story he points out is Caesar Augustus. He, makes, he puts out this name because he was presenting to us... Um, the nature of politics and the nature of the physicality of the world around them and the, the situation and the story as it was unfolding. And 
and, and, and drawing us into the story with a, an attitude that would help us to say, what, what observations would we draw from this? And what would the people of the, that the time then be thinking? And so he says, the, the power broker of the day makes, issues a decree. Caesar Augustus brings forth a decree, a census, so that the Roman Empire would not face a fiscal cliff. Because that's what the census was all about. It was ultimately about taxation. And the next big name in the story is Quirinius, the governor. And the big men, the big newsmakers, the power brokers of the day, appeared to be in charge of, of all the things they were doing and saying. And that would be the, the normal response or reaction from the people who were around. Globalization was in full swing as the Roman Empire continued to march across the countryside, gathering up nations. One currency, one language, one world leader. Who's bigger than these names? Is it all by chance or fate or luck? Who's really rocking the world 2,000 years ago? I want you to know something as, we draw, are we, as we're drawn into this text. The newsmakers on CNN that night, that first night, that holy night, are not the human power brokers. Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, although few would have been convinced on that first Christmas night. The most important thing that was happening that night was to get one little family from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that a Savior could be born in a city prophesied by Micah in 5.2 that he would come and be born in Bethlehem. Why am I saying this to you? Why am I making a point here? I want to point out to you that it's not dissimilar then than it is today. Time Magazine's man of the year will be Barack Obama. The power brokers, the newsmakers, controlling the people. It says in the text that when this decree went forward, it says in verse 3, and everyone went... But as you continue to read the story, you realize it's not about Caesar Augustus. It's not about Quirinius. It's about a little family. A man named Joseph. A woman named Mary. And then the laser settles on the real target. A child is born. Out of all that was happening over the Roman Empire... The greatest and most important news story of that moment was that child. Although the big names, listen, and powers are giving orders, 
God is getting his plans done. And that's the way it is all the time. Have you noticed as we continue to lose our footing over, the, over God's, the scope of God's power and dominance, what God has stated in his word, maybe we need a refresher. Maybe we need a reminder. We've got our eyes fixed on the, the great politicians, the great powers of this world, the great newsmakers and news stories. There's no way that story in the manger made the news that night. It was the great story. For you, it says in Psalm 139, verse 13, of God, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. To the people who wonder if they matter, to, the, to, the, to those who wonder if they have any significance, to those who who wonder if God above knows anything about their lives. This is what he writes about you. Your frame was not hidden from him when you were made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, it says, your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. Life before birth. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Life after birth, every single day, known by a sovereign God in heaven. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And then it talks about after I have died, when I awake, I am still with you. Life after death, life before birth, life after birth, life after death. God's got you covered. And as you continue to read on page after page of the scriptures, unveil the the dominant sovereign power of God over his creation. In Proverbs 19 verse 21, many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails Can you imagine in the courtrooms of Caesar Augustus who thought he devised this census idea? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a census over the whole Roman Empire so I'll know how many people we have and and so that we we can record this for taxation purposes. That's what we'll do. That's the great plan in my mind. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails God moved heaven and earth to get one family to Bethlehem so that we might have salvation. As you continue to move on, Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. In terms of your life and the protective custody in your life, Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. With respect to you and the covering that God has over you, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Couple this with God's proclamation of who he is in Psalm 139, how he has every detail of your life 
under his sovereign plan and purpose and make sure that he gives you a guarded protection every second of your life, brought, bringing you to salvation. God's got you covered. In 1 John 4, 4, it reminds us in terms of our great battle with the demonic forces that greater is he that is in us, in our hearts, than the one that is in the world. This is no dual battle between the forces of good and evil. God is the dominant force of our universe over all things. And then Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, in terms of what could separate us from the love of God, he says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then he says, not even death. I'm sure it must grieve the heart of Almighty God when he sees those who call themselves the people of God quaking at a decree of Caesar Augustus or a Quirinius Or the person that signs your paycheck. God orchestrates the affairs of this universe with precision and according to his stated purposes. And he's the one who decrees, mostly in an understated manner, like a manger in Bethlehem that changed the world. The highest levels of the world serve God's purposes without knowing it. A Messiah was born in Bethlehem. And everybody thought the biggest news story was Caesar Augustus' census. The reason most people miss the grand things God is doing is because he does them in caves and fields and mangers in little churches and prayer closets in tiny towns. And so, beloved, because it is a goal that God put in my heart that you would leave this place this morning glorifying and praising God, look up. Step out into the day with confidence And clarity, the light has shone in your hearts. And know that your God, the God who sent his son, is the God over all. Knows every detail of your life. You were his plan before you were even born. He has purposed your life. Has covered you with his protective custody. And brought you to this moment right here, to hear of the great things of God because he is gracious and because of his tender mercy. He may not move the whole world for you, but he can and he will if he decides that's what needs to be done. There's a second question I want to explore with you for a moment with respect to the light-darkness issue. It has to do with Jesus. If Jesus is such a big deal, why doesn't he make a more spectacular splash on today's world? 
as you read this obscure event for the most part, I think most of us are always left wondering, why in a dark, dank cave in a really, really small town in the middle of nowhere? Why the understated entrance into our world? It's actually a question that Satan seems to me, uh, it seems to me that Satan asked of Jesus when he was led out in the wilderness, when Christ was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tested. Satan came to him, remember, and said, hey, how about something really spectacular? Make a splash. Do something big. How about you climb up on the temple there and do a swan dive off and land on your feet gingham style? That'll impress the world. Jesus' response to him was, there should be no cause for a creature to ever put his God, who is the great I am, on trial to prove himself. I want to say to you this morning something I think is pretty important. Jesus isn't looking for groupies. He's not looking to compete with the latest and greatest entertainer or entertainment. He has that taken care of hands down. He's looking to grace people who long for his good news. I want to speak to the church this morning for a moment. Not just to lost people. The plan of God for man is not more splash. Not more spectacular. Not more selfish. Not more rock star arrogance. Not just more news, but good news. I I want you to know that um, I think it must grieve the heart of God that he is put in competition for our passion and our desire and our love. I think it's um, in the honesty of our hearts important for us once again as we have been brought to the manger to gaze all over again at the Savior of this world. To start taking some internal inventory of our own hearts and what's really important to us. I sometimes wonder if we're asking the questions how... Does Jesus come with enough apps? I mean, what's the greatest thing in my life right now? The iPhone 5? The next sale I'm going to make? The next greatest trip I'm going to take? When people ask you, what's the good news of your life? Is it Jesus? I think sometimes we um, become a bit ho-hum and familiar with uh, what it means to have Jesus in our lives. So I want to open up for you just a window once more of the glory 
of God. By way of a few descriptions that the angels gave of what was packaged up in that manger so that we'll be sure to leave glorifying and praising God. The angels made this message, gave this message. Don't be afraid. We're bringing you good news of mega joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Jesus offers people good news of peace because of grace. Do we understand the nature of the the first descriptions that, that were bounced out of the sky that night? That mankind can have peace with God. When we're talking about the great things of our lives, the the features of the high-tech society we live in, the the apps of the mechanics of the things we have, do we think about having peace with God? Guilt, the shame, the frustrations, the sense in our lives that things are not well has been removed and The offer of removal is available to us because of this babe in a manger, this prince of peace who has come to offer us peace with God. There's no greater sense or feeling to have in your life than to know that you are at peace with God. That if if you were to be taken from this world this second, do you know that you have peace with God? It is well with my soul. Do you have peace with him? Right now, this morning. Not only is he the uh, one who brings peace to men, but the angel said he's the savior. There were a lot of titles that were thrown around that night. Augustus was the Kaiser of the whole Roman Empire. Quirinius was the governor of Syria. It was the town of King David. But the angels said, this one in the manger is the savior. There may be kings. There may be governors. There may be other political leaders. There may be newsmakers of the day. There may be the power brokers, humanly speaking, all around you. But this one, this one is the Savior. The one who has come to rescue you. The one who has come to save you from your sins, from your spiritual deadness. The one who comes and brings the ultimate feature with him to lift you up and and, and quicken your life and change you from being dead in your trespasses and sins. A, A scenario that will remain throughout your life unless something changes and on into eternity unless something radically changes. This Savior has come to rescue you from your deadness, to save you. What Kaiser can do that? What governor can do that? He is the promised Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. Who will lead you away from darkness. He will teach you the truth. He will enable you to understand. 
in any presentation of the theology of God, the, in any given audience, there are people who say, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't know, what are you talking about? I don't understand God. I don't understand religion. I don't understand uh, what's going on. I don't understand the Jesus thing. I don't understand any of that. That's what Messiah came to do, to lead us from darkness. It says in, the, in John, in the first chapter, he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him, and they did not receive him. But to them who believed because of his mercy and grace enabling them, he gave the right to become children of God and to understand who he is and to welcome him and to receive him into their lives. So in terms of features and benefits, as the angels roll out the descriptions of the the Prince of Peace who brings peace with God. Do you have peace with God this morning? He is the Savior who comes to rescue you from your sins and give you eternal life. Do you have eternal life this morning? He is Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One, who would lead us out of darkness that we might understand and welcome the truths of God. Do you understand God? Do you welcome Him? Do you receive Him into your life? And then he says, the Lord. There is no higher title. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The great I am, Jehovah, God with us. The Lord. The Lord of glory, who has come to bless your obedience. Reward you for serving him. He has come to be Lord of your life. He'll completely change your life. Caesar may get you to to go to your hometown to get his census taken. But this one will be Lord and Master of every detail of your life. A gracious one. Tender, merciful one. So is Jesus in charge of your life this morning? I would submit to you that in terms of what really matters and is of lasting value... There is no comparison to Jesus. He is the biggest thing in the universe. That's why, that's why the angels could light up the sky and say, stop being afraid. Peace with God. A Savior. Messiah. Lord of glory who's known you before you were born. So we come to bring you good tidings of mega joy. There was no bigger description they could offer in the language known by man than to put this descriptor in front of joy. They were saying, you've heard of joy? You ain't heard nothing yet. 
I'm talking, we're talking, we're singing, we're praising God about mega joy without competitor. From fear to mega joy. That's what's offered to God's people. I want to conclude with one more question. It has to do with truth. It has to do with addressing the many within our culture who have been wounded and abused by dishonesty, by scams, by every wicked idea known to mankind. And the question is, what leader ever keeps his or her word? I would start to answer that question by saying, what leader brings an army to announce peace? Here's the important application this morning that is represented by the shepherds. The angel said this in verse 12 of Luke 2. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You've been burned by hypocrites, by bad examples of important people who have let you down. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever acted directly on God's word yourself? Because that's exactly what the shepherds did. The announcement was this. If you go to Bethlehem and you go to that stable and you go to that manger, you will find exactly what God has promised. And it says in the text that when the angels had left them, verse 15, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. We're into the good news. We need some good news in our life. Let's go. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And what was the reward? They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, just as it was said. The story of Christmas is a, is a story scripted in every detail, according to the promises of God in his word. I have laid out for you a listing of scripture texts that are detailed fulfillments just in this little section of scripture of God's truth. What God says, he delivers on. I think the story here as it winds down in this description is if you act on what God says, 
All that God claims will be found to be, will be found just as he says it will be. And if you could settle on ordinary obedience in your life, an extraordinary thing will happen to you. What God says he is, he is. How he says things are, is how things are. Because another description of God is this. In Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. So God tells the truth. That's what this says to me. It's all over this. It was prophesied. It was promised. There was long time of silence. There were... There were despots and kings and, and wicked people and, and, and pain and suffering and sickness and, and, and dishonesties and, and thefts and all that goes on in life. But God promised a deliverer. And he came good on his promise. That's the story of Christmas. God promised light to shine in the darkness. That's what's happened. So you can count on what God says. In a culture that has been burned so many times, there is absolute truth. God is absolutely true. Jesus, in our high-tech world, we don't have any apps for salvation. We don't have any features on our iPhone that will lead us out of darkness. We don't, we don't have any um, benefits from our computer that will give us eternal life. And no matter how big your flat screen TV is, it makes a very, very bad Lord of your life. But Jesus, Jesus is the most important one the most important feature you will ever have in your heart. And behind every curve in the path, every detail of your journey, every coordinate setting of your direction is the God in charge of our universe. And you either have been fighting him or faithfully trusting him. And I would encourage you this morning to lay down your fight, lay down your frustrations, lay down your failures. It's exhausting fighting against the eternal. And join in with the angels that night who said glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace on people to whom his favor rests because he's a gracious and wonderful God. Our Father, this morning as we are on the ebb of another Christmas celebration, I pray that we will not allow anything to distract us from the greatness of Christ. Lord, forgive us for grieving the Spirit of God with our insecurities and our questions of the scope and majesty and sovereignty of God when things seem to be 
confusing to the bystander that first night of the glorious unrolling of Christmas and the incarnation event there were countless perplexities and struggles and challenges and inconveniences where was God you were behind every detail walking your creation through every purpose you had to bring a Messiah to save people so this morning Lord we just want to bask in that like the shepherds did and glorify you and praise you and honor you afresh Lord renew our passion and desire for you this Christmas season I pray because you are the great powerful God you got us covered and we love you it's in Jesus name I pray amen sometimes I uh, look at stories that are familiar and I start asking questions what if think about that one of shepherds in the fields and the angels appear to them what if having announced this glorious message of a Messiah Savior Lord a manger in Bethlehem what if the shepherds decided to make it just a Christmas card moment like most of our world is going to do and I fear in my heart that some people in here might do well, that was a good Christmas moment. But they just went back to their fields and tended their flocks. Wasn't that a cool moment? The message was, there's a sign. A babe will be found lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths. But you have to go there to see for yourself, to experience Messiah yourself. And when they did, they came back praising and glorifying God for all that they had seen, just as it was said to them by God's word. The truth. They acted on the truth. They received the reward. And they went and told everybody. They couldn't stop telling people. It says in the word of God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will be saved. He gave his son. But you have to believe. It says in the word of God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, the truth is there, but you have to call on the name of the Lord. It says in God's word, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But you have to confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for you. So there it is. That's the message. God's truth. But you must believe it. You must call on the Lord yourself. You must confess the truth that you believe. And then you too, like the shepherds, will experience the life transformation of meeting Messiah. You'll never be the same. You'll change your whole life. That's what Christmas is. 
It's a life-transforming encounter and exchange given by a loving, tender, merciful God. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I pray this morning that we would not hear miss the point you're an interactive God you didn't just go on display and create Christmas cards you come into our lives and change us to those who receive you to those who call on your name to those who believe to those who confess with their mouth who you are So, Lord, I pray this morning if there's someone here that has never had that life-changing encounter, it's available right now, Lord. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw those hearts to believe, to call out to you, to confess that you are truly Lord. You are Savior, Messiah, Prince of Peace, Lord of Glory that you would give us the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins because a great light has shone in the darkness. Oh God, thank you. In Jesus' name.